With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. What's happening, everybody? Welcome into the Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com. My name is Colton Denning, and I am your host, and it is October, October 1st, 2017. We are now five games through Ohio State's season. Before we get into the show today, just want to remind you where you can find the show. Make sure to go to SoundCloud.com slash LandGrantHolyLand. Search and find the show on Apple Podcasts by searching The Hangout in the Holy Land. Leave a review there. More importantly, tell a friend if you enjoy the show. Tell us what you think about the show by leaving us some feedback. Send us a tweet at LandGrant33. You can also send me a tweet at DubsCo. And then if you want to follow us on Instagram, you can do so by giving us a follow at LandGrantHolyLand. We are everywhere around the internet. Like I said, we are five games into the season, and today we are going to be recapping Ohio State's 56 to nothing win over Rutgers. Ohio State's fourth game against Rutgers since they joined the Big Ten, and another blowout, unsurprisingly. So to do that and break down the game, I am joined by my buddy and fellow Lane Grant compatriot and contributor, Patrick Mayhorn. Patrick, I am really glad that this one is off the schedule and we can move forward. Yeah, it's like every time Rutgers is on the schedule, I can just plan to do something else during the game, like in while well, the game is on just in the background because it's going to be a 50-point blowout. It's it's rough. It's rough to play Rutgers. When I was thinking about what to talk about for this episode, I preemptively was like, I'm going to have to throw an explicit tag on this because like, <laughs> holy shit. This game was so boring. Oh, my God. And I'm interested to get your take on this, and maybe this will be a central theme for this show. But, uh, you know, a lot of it, I think we can kind of disregard the second half. We'll talk about the young players kind of like we did last week and how they looked. Demario McCall, which I know you're excited to uh, to talk about him. But um, this game really felt especially looking at it from an offensive point of view, like it was an experimental game, even maybe more so than the Army and UNLV games did. And despite Ohio State scoring a lot of points, I I don't really think that there's much of anything offensively we can take away from this. It was great to see that the passing game was a little more explosive, but man, I don't think that there's much to take away from this one. 
Yeah, this performance was a lot like the last two have been. I mean, we saw a lot of players touch the ball. When it came to the passing game, we had Terry McLaurin, Johnny Dixon, Marcus Ball, Benjamin Victor, obviously, Demario McCall all got in on it, but there were 10 different receivers that had receptions in this game, and obviously not all of them were for for big plays. A number of those guys only had one reception. There was only four multiple um, reception receivers, but... Yeah, this was this was for the most part another game against a team that was just overmatched in the trenches and talent-wise in general. Um, Ohio State played their backups for most of the game, and we saw, I think, the guys who will actually see play against teams like Penn State or Michigan, I think we saw them for roughly a quarter giving full effort, and that was really all it took. I mean, Rutgers is a pretty bad team. What did you think of the offense? Because Rutgers came into the game is a top 30 defense in S&P plus and Ohio state had their moments. They weren't very efficient. They had a 38% success rate, but they were really buoyed by three big plays, the 37 yard run from JT Barrett, the 34 yard run from JK Dobbins, and then the 70 yard touchdown pass to Johnny Dixon. And they scored 35 points in the first half, but it still felt like they were kind of hit, hit or miss throughout that first half. Don't you think? Yeah, the first quarter I was like I wasn't concerned because it was Rutgers, but it it felt kind of like the same same kind of issues that we've seen with this team all year against his own defense. Um we knew Chris Ash would call some some interesting defensive schemes he did here and he did he did in this game too. He threw out some exotic blitzes. He really I think that this wasn't the worst, you know, test for for a guy like JT Barrett to see how he can do against a zone and how he can do against a blitz. And at least in the first quarter, they struggled. I mean, the passing game was was rough in the first quarter. There were some really dumb mistakes. And we'll get into the um, the penalties and some, some kind of more unbearable parts of this game. But for the most part, it seemed like the offense figured it out as the game went on, just in the depth started to take over. But... I think offensively, we really didn't learn a ton. This this looked like Ohio State just kind of <clears throat> flexing their talent and winning, winning not necessarily by executing, but just because there's five stars all over the field. It still looks like Urban Meyer and Kevin Wilson are trying to figure out how to mesh their two styles together, not only with the philosophy of what they want to run on offense, but also in the play calling as well. Yeah, the play calling was... I mean, I think for the most part it was fine. There were a couple of plays that I really liked, including the um, the 70-yard Johnny Dixon touchdown pass where he was just wide open because we had been selling the they'd been selling the run all game and uh, Rutgers bought the fake and he was just he was left uncovered and I'm not sure that would work against a decent team, but it worked here and it was fun. But no, I think that they looked pretty much like they like they have against you know UNLV and they like they did against Army the play calling at times was a little bit questionable there were some some third down situations where they threw it like three yards when they needed six or just kind of dumb weird things like that and it seems like it's still a team as you said that's trying to figure out exactly what they want to do on offense and obviously it's kind of it's it feels silly to to say this is a team still trying to figure out what to do on offense and they just scored 56 points but there were times in this game where it was it was really just the offense completely stalled and it felt like they couldn't do anything yeah the starters had three three and outs in the first half they probably would have had four without that coverage bust in the play to the 70 yard touchdown pass 
to Dixon, and then they had another one to start the second half. And, you know, we're not going to turn this into a bitch fest like we talked <laughs> about after the Army and UNLV games. We're never going to be upset when Ohio State just beats the hell out of a team. And there's a lot of positives to take away from this game. But, you know, I think that just from us watching, and I'm sure that the coaches and the players, when they watch the film, will see that they left a lot of stuff out on the field. And there's a lot of stuff offensively that uh, that they can clean up and do better in you look at the first half numbers, they average nine yards per play. And without those three big plays, the Barrett run, the Dobbins run, and the Dixon touchdown pass, they averaged only 5.9 yards per play. And like I said earlier, I, I don't know if that's as much Rutgers defense really shutting them down as much as it just felt like they were experimenting with things. They were trying to figure out what they want to do as they head into conference play. And they almost made a point to not use J.K. Dobbins. He broke off a couple of really nice runs, but it just felt like they kind of just said, you know what, there's really no reason to risk any injury for him. We'll get Mike Weber integrated back into the offense. It was great to see that he finally looked healthy this season, and he had a nice game. I, I was happy to, that he got those three touchdowns, and you can kind of see that he'll where he'll fit in in those short yard situations and what that rotation is going to be like going forward, but it just felt weird from the beginning and it just felt like they were going to kind of experiment with stuff, tinker with stuff. And there's, you know, not really anything tangible to take away from what they did. Yeah. As you said, it was really good to see Mike Weber back and seemingly fully healthy. Um, when this backfield is, is fully healthy and fully operational with Mike Weber, JK Dobbins, JT Barrett, and maybe even Demario McCall, if he can, kind of get back into the good graces of the coaching staff and maybe get his get his size up a little bit um this is a very dangerous backfield and we saw that with mike weber and jk dobbins obviously both having pretty good games mike weber didn't put up huge numbers but he did have three touchdowns and he looked every bit as powerful as he did last year but um yeah as you said there's really not a ton to take away from this game benjamin victor had a really nice touchdown catch um on a beautiful jt barrett back shoulder throw into the end zone it was it was good to see but for the most part this this just felt like another experimental game as you said what uh what did you think of the receivers as a whole because like you said Benjamin Victor had that awesome touchdown catch where he just Randy Moss that dude he had a nice day two catches 69 yards a touchdown Johnny Dixon stepped up once again it looks like he's their most explosive receiver whether that's as a deep ball threat on the touchdown or the touchdown that got called back for probably a ticky-tack offensive pass interference call or the 39-yard touchdown where he did a really nice job weaving through the Rutgers defense and then tiptoeing down the sideline for his second touchdown of the game. But other than that, Terry McLaurin had some catches. He also had some really bad penalties, too, (laughs) on the same play, and he's going to be suspended for the first half of next week's game against Maryland. And with what Benjamin Victor has been able to show in flashes, I think that next week's going to be a big opportunity for him to kind of seize that role. And Ohio State keeps playing a lot of these wide receivers, but with what Victor's shown, if he can be a little more consistent, he he certainly has the talent and he flashes it. But I, I would look to him next week as a player that can kind of cement their role alongside Johnny Dixon as, okay, we're still going to rotate some of these receivers in, but Victor, Dixon, you guys are getting the lion's share of those snaps. Yeah, I I would really like to see um, Dixon, Victor, and even a guy like Austin Mack kind of 
find find their foothold on the you know in the depth chart for the next couple of weeks and maybe see them get a couple more targets but i i agree with with what you said and i think the number one issue for this receiving core and what it has been for the past 2 years now is just inconsistency i mean benjamin victor had a he had a couple nice plays he had the nice touchdown we talked about but he had some bad drops i mean there was yeah. one that just bounced right off his chest and uh, same same thing with Paris Campbell, who seemingly can catch the ball when it's five when he's five yards from the line of scrimmage, and that's about it, because he's not particularly good at catching it downfield. I don't know what that's about. He's like the William Buford of football, where he can <laughs> he can only hit the hard ones, I guess. But um, <laughs> he just I, I don't know. They still have they still have catching issues, and that's just not great for a receiving core that's going to have to eventually go up against defensive backs that are you know, as talented, if not more talented than them. And that's, I think that's going to cause issues. Johnny Dixon did look good. It was good to see him kind of healthy finally. And he made plays. He looked like he was supposed to look this whole time. And um, Terry McLaurin had a good game, still some dumb mistakes, as you alluded to. Marcus Ball, kind of weird game, uh, three catches for 19 yards. I don't think I remember him ever catching the ball, so I don't really know where those came from. But yeah, for the most part, this still feels like a receiving core that's just trying to figure out where exactly they belong and what some of their roles on the team are. Moving from a group in an offense that's still trying to figure things out to a group in a unit that has things figured out pretty damn good as of right now, the defense was awesome in the first half last night. They held Rutgers to a 21% success rate. They only gave up one explosive play. They held them to 2.4 yards per play. And it all starts with the defensive line. Uh, Rutgers just, their offensive line was so overmatched. They had no shot. Quarterback Kyle Bolin didn't have any time to throw. They, they couldn't run the ball. They really couldn't do anything. And whether it was Nick Bosa, Tyquan Lewis, he had another game where not a lot on the stat sheet, but he was penetrating. He was getting through the offensive line. He was really f- disrupting what Rutgers wanted to do. Sam Hubbard was his usual self, especially in the run game. Jalen Holmes as well. Everybody played their role. Tracy Sprinkle played well. And this was without Draymond Jones. And the defensive line looked pretty awesome against an offensive line that they should overmatch. But, man, they looked pretty damn good. Yeah, this was a really impressive defensive performance. Obviously, anytime you get a shout out, it's you know it's a big deal. But they did this without three of their defensive starters in uh, Chris Worley, Draymond Jones, as you mentioned, and Eric Smith, who didn't yeah. travel with the team. And I won't talk too much about why that is. But uh, <laughs> yeah, Jordan Fuller looked good filling in for for Smith. Um, Sam Hubbard, as you said, really impressive game. The defensive line as a whole. Chase Young got in there. Uh, Nick Bosa was dominant as ever. It seemed like every single play Rutgers would drop back to pass Ohio State was pretty much in there immediately Rutgers was never able to establish anything more than quick slants or you know curl routes and that really hampered their offensive ability to move and they had a couple drives where they they moved down the field but then just couldn't finish that was a really sad field goal at the end of the game (laughs) um but yeah we have to talk about that field goal at some point because we might let's just do it right now um I went back and and I watched the end of the game really late last night before I went to bed, and it made me legitimately sad. Like, I know we joke about Rutgers online and on this podcast a ton and give them shit because they're so bad, but they looked so dejected 
after he doinked that field goal off the upright. And I, I was watching the game with my mom, and she was like, I, I don't like that. That's really sad. <laughs> and it, it felt like a movie. And it, it like they showed Chris Ash on the sidelines, and you could just tell that it was just like, let's just score three points. We won't get shut out. And they looked so dejected when they showed the sideline, and it just felt like Chris Ash internally was just like, what the fuck do I got to do? <laughs> and, I mean, that's kind of where Rutgers is right now. And when they've faced Ohio State or any of these other top opponents, they're not only getting beat, but they're getting their asses kicked, and they're not scoring any points either. Yeah, I don't remember who it was that said it on Twitter. It might have been one of the Everyday Should Be Saturday guys. But they um, they said that uh, Chris Ash looked like he's watching his dog being tortured uh, whenever Rutgers plays football. <laughs> um, and yeah, the, that field goal, I was like, I was like, like I had a, like, like a physical reaction to watching that field goal where like, I just had to like curl up because it like, it just, it was sad. It, it was miserable. Like everything about that play was, was just awful. And then the, like the third string Ohio state freshman defense all celebrating, like they won the fucking championship. It's like, <laughs> come on, it, like, don't do that to Rutgers. But yeah, I just, I felt bad. It was, it was bad to watch. Um, I think, I think Chris Ash deserves better. I think Rutgers deserves better. Um, I don't know. Hopefully Rutgers can improve in the years coming. I think Chris Ash is a good coach, but yeah, that was a bummer. The end of that game in general was just a bummer to watch. We talked about not really being able to take anything away from the offensive performance, and I kind of feel the same about the secondary and maybe even the linebackers as well. I think the the defensive line – you know, we already know that they're one of the best in the country, but to put on such a dominating performance in a conference game, I think really goes to show the depth and the talent without a guy like Draymond Jones. I'm sure we'll talk about him in a little bit too, but Chase Young is an absolutely terrifying human being. He's starting to get more and more playing time with the top guys in the first half, and he he deserves it. Same with Jonathan Cooper. He's a player we never talk about, but and he, he may not be as physically talented as Chase Young, but he's still pretty damn scary. And, you know, the second and third wave of these guys, especially at defensive end, is just awesome. And I think if the linebackers in the secondary can catch up to, to with what they're able to do, I think Ohio State's, they're on the right track to being closer to what they were last year. But what did you think about the performance from the linebackers in the secondary? I thought that the um, I I thought that the the backups, uh, especially because there's really not much to to take away from the the starting defensive backfield or anyone on the starters in the starting group, just because they weren't on the they weren't in the game for very long. They dominated. They looked more talented. That it is what it is. We knew that. But I think that the young guys, the backups in general. They looked really aggressive. Um, a lot of them played with a lot of a lot of hype, a lot of energy, which is to be expected. A guy like Justin Hilliard was just flying all over the field, and most of them were. Um, and I thought that for the most part, it was impressive. It was an impressive performance from the youngsters. Um, Isaiah Pryor had a nice game. Uh, Baron Browning got a chance to play. Chase Young, as you said, a lot of freshmen. Um, got on the field, Haskell, Garrett, defensive tackle, freshman. Um, all these guys got a chance to show what they're all about. But 
it was a bit concerning. This is something I was um, alluding to in the Slack chat for um, Land Grant Holy Land last night, was that a lot of them seem to hit with their helmets exclusively. Like, they just dive directly into tackles headfirst, and that, don't. They need to fix that, because that's not great. That's, I mean, if these guys ever has to play significant minutes, they're going to get ejected, and we saw it happen with, um, you know, Terry McLaurin, obviously not a young guy, but it just seems like a lack of technique. We saw it with Jocelyn Went got called for targeting. I think it was, I think it was overturned, but there was a lot of helmet tackles, and that's just not a great thing to see from young guys. And that's something that needs to get kind of shored up a little bit. Jeffrey Okuda too, if I remember correctly, right after the went play on a, on a run play near the sideline, looked like he did the same thing on that play. And at least once more, but you can tell that man, they are stocked with talent on defense. I thought Jerome Baker getting back to the starters and kind of what we saw from in the first half, I thought he played okay. The linebackers still, to me, are a little less productive than what you want, especially when you have a defensive line that not only is freeing things up for you to make plays in the run game, but is also just destroying the offensive line and freeing things up to be disruptive as a linebacker core as well. But Dante Booker had the interception, which was an incredible play from him. Malik Harrison, I think, continues to improve. And overall, without Chris Worley, I think that they're headed in the right direction. And then it's like we're talking about the secondary. It's just kind of hard to take anything away because Rutgers was so awful coming into the game, throwing the ball in. It's not like the last night was much different, whether it was the first or the second string. But, you know, when you put together a performance where, you know, you barely let let a team move the ball, it's certainly not a negative. Yeah, and uh, I mean, there's... Like you said, there's not much to take away from a game like this. Um, there was, there were highlights, obviously, and that's always fun to see. I, I know uh, one that stuck out to me that I think happened in the first quarter when I was still kind of intently focusing on this game was uh, Denzel Ward, almost Odell Beckham Jr. to guy. Um, yeah, that was nice. <laughs> yeah, that was impressive. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there were some impressive interceptions. People still got extremely mad about Damon Webb for some reason, even though he had an interception and looked fine for pretty much the entire game. People got mad in general, even though Ohio State was up by at least 40 points for most of the game. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, was, it wasn't it was the most fun game to watch, but the defense still looked good. The team general looked good. It was, it was nice to see some of the young guys get in the game, and for the most part, everyone looked as talented as yeah Kyle Bowling in the first half was three of 10 for 19 yards with a long of 14 so it goes to show Rutgers had 77 total yards at half and that was 31 of those came on one passing play and one running play so Ohio State didn't really give up anything so it's nice to see the defense after the Oklahoma game take some steps forward the last three weeks and yeah we know that that this isn't the best competition, but after how bad they looked and after really how they got shredded in the first half against Indiana, it was nice to see uh, another step forward from them. And maybe we'll see, you know, a better representation than that in next week's game against Maryland. Despite the injuries, Maryland still has some nice pieces. Nebraska, I, I don't know how much, but it really seems like, and this, this is something we keep talking about, whether it's on the preview podcast or on these recap podcasts, you know, we're really not going to know until the Penn State game. And I think that that's okay. Yeah, I mean, 
college football season is you get you get a guaranteed 12 games unless you're a Florida team and then you get four but um yeah I mean I th- like we've we've talked about this before but like not, not every game is going to be all that important like obviously this is more important than like the game against UNLV where it's not even a conference game it really it's just you know, get in don't get hurt and then no major injuries. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think Rutgers is pretty similar to conference win. Um, <clears throat> it's 4-1. and one. I mean, that's, that's all you can really ask for. Ohio State dominated this game, even if they had some really stupid mistakes. You know, there was um, 10, 10 Ohio State penalties, including some really egregious personal fouls that were just unnecessary, um, and two almost punt return fumbles that were um, possibly honoring some former Buckeyes, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, it was a mess. Even Drew Chrisman had one oh, shitty punt, God. although he had, yeah. he bet, he backed it up. He sandwiched it with two great punts, but yeah, yeah he, even Drew Chrisman, he, he finally launched a stinker. Yeah. Drew Chrisman back, backdoored us. I was ready to, I was ready to declare him Heisman winner. And then he, he snuck that one in there while I wasn't looking and <laughs> it was, um, yeah, he, he betrayed us, but yeah, this was just kind of a sloppy game, and they still won by 56 points. I mean, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, and and that, I think, is a good point to hit on is, you know, we I, I don't want to, this podcast to sound like we're talking negative about the game because I think if, if you ask me, am I happy with that win? Hell yeah, that was a fantastic, that's what you do to Rutgers. You beat them 58 last year. 58 to nothing last year. You beat them 56 to nothing this year. And I think that there are way more positives to take away. But there's obviously some very sloppy things on offense that, you know, against a team like Penn State, against a team like even Michigan State, who is starting to look decent, and then Michigan in that last game of the season, that isn't going to fly. But I think that they're working on it, and the offense as a whole is definitely, I think, in a better place than they were to start the season. But let's talk about some fun stuff. Demario McCall was Ohio State's leading rusher last night. 11 carries, 103 yards, had a long of 48 where he saw a crease, was going left, completely stopped, cut to the right through the defense, and just outran everybody. He's just another weapon. And you would think that they got to figure out how to get him on the field because – for a team that's still searching for explosive plays, man, he he is that guy. And as he continues to figure out the offense and continues to get healthier, because Urban Meyer said he's still not a hundred percent, or you know, not close to where he needs to be, having a guy like that on the field is is certainly a plus. He also caught the touchdown pass from Dwayne Haskins, which was an absolute dime. Yeah, that, that wheel route was beautiful, and also every wheel route that's ever been called has gone for a touchdown. I can't be told otherwise. Um, <laughs> and even if it's not thrown to the wheel route, the wheel route will open up like the 70-yard the Johnny Dixon touchdown was a result of uh, J.K. Dobbins' wheel route, so every place should have a wheel route. But yeah. Strong agree. Yeah, Demario McCall. Uh, wheel routes and tight end throwbacks, but um, Demario McCall looked, I mean, he looked good. He looked really fast. Um, 11 attempts, 103 yards, touchdown, the beautiful 48-yard touchdown run. Um, averaged almost 10 yards a carry, and I think that that's, like, not, I mean, obviously it's a little skewed by the big run, but for the most part, it felt like he was picking up big yards every single time he ran the ball. I was talking, I can't remember who I was talking to, but I was talking to somebody about 
it seems like Demario McCall's main issue that he has two speeds and it's <clears throat> either not going at all or 90 miles per hour. And that's fun to watch, but against a team like Penn State, that can get you in trouble. I mean, yeah. he was he was slamming into into some Rutgers defenders at different times during this game. And it seems like if the hole isn't there, he just runs directly into whatever's in front of him. And I don't think he's big enough to do that consistently without getting hurt. And that might be his biggest issue that you know I can see is that he's just he's very aggressive and he's. I don't think he's big enough to back it up, but yeah, he's fun to watch. They need to find a way to get him the ball more, even if it's not maybe on maybe not on punt returns because I don't think he can catch them. But if it's as an H back, if it's as just a, a spell back right now, they need to find a way to get his, you know, his talent onto the field because he's too explosive to keep away from an offense that needs explosive playmakers. He definitely showed a lot more aggressiveness in this game than I think we've ever seen from him. There was a run where they were down near their own end zone and he broke it off for uh, I want to say 10 or 12 yards and like you said he's just slammed into one of those Rutgers defensive backs and the more touches he gets and the the more experience he gets I think he'll probably be flying a balance between which plays to do that and which plays to try to make some cuts but you can see that you know he's not a complete back by any stretch of the imagination but his game is more well-rounded than what we saw of him as a freshman. Yeah, he's a lot. Like, he's a lot like a, um, you know, like a quarterback who's, you know, like five foot ten and runs four four forty time and throws the ball ninety yards. You never know where the ninety yards will be, but he'll throw it ninety yards every time. Where it's just fun to watch. Like it's super dangerous, and if it's your team, it's kind of frightening. But he's just fun, um, and I think that's why I like Demario McCall and why I want to see more of him is because in a game like this where it was just kind of a you know, just a trot try to get through this game so I can watch something else or you know it, Demario McCall made it worth watching he was you know it was it was fun in the middle of the fourth quarter to continuously watch Ohio State beat Rutgers to a pulp so shout out Demario McCall for that not a lot else to take away from the offense we talked about some of the backup players um there was tight ends that got some run. Farrell got some run. We saw that. I'm looking at the receiving chart right now. Rashad Berry had another catch, 14-yard catch. So Ohio State's still trying to get their, I think, receiving options sorted out. C.J. Saunders had a catch. So I think we'll, we'll keep seeing that progress quarterback-wise. Not as much to take away from this week as there was last week. Joe Burrow got some really late playing time, only threw two passes, completed them both for 20 yards. Dwayne Haskins was 3 of 6 for 47 yards and a touchdown. But, man, that touchdown was really, really nice. It was a fun touchdown. That was a play that, you know, I and I I don't think this is hyperbole. I can't think of an Ohio State quarterback in the last 10 years that – Maybe Cardale Jones, maybe, could make that throw. Because it wasn't just the throw that was over the shoulder and he placed it in, but it was the anticipation of the throw, too. And to see that Dwayne Haskins already has that in his repertoire, I think, is is very impressive. Yeah, it was a really it was a really encouraging throw. And we've seen that from him a couple times now whenever he's gotten the chance to play, is that he's he's flashed the the ability and the ceiling that I don't think any other quarterback on this roster has. And you know, obviously that doesn't mean that he should be getting more playing time than just in, you know, in, in junk time against bad teams and that, that sort of backup quarterback 
does. I mean, but yeah, I think he looked good again. Three or six, 47 yards, as you said. Um, he, I mean, he looked like a talented backup quarterback. And hopefully, I don't know, I haven't looked at the Twitter mentions a ton um, just because I try to stay away from that for the most part. But um, hopefully people were a little bit friendlier to what is now Ohio State's most prolific passer in the history of the school. And, I mean, Dwayne Haskins is fun. Joey Burrow seems a lot like JT Barrett, but JT Barrett should be the unquestioned starter, and I think he is. Yeah, JT Barrett not only goes over 10,000 yards for his career at Ohio State, but passes Arch Schleister for uh, most passing yards all-time in Ohio State history, and regardless of uh, how you feel about JT Barrett, I think we can all be thankful that Arch Schleister isn't the uh, the king of that stat anymore. Um any other big takeaways from you? I feel like we've kind of run the gamut of talking about offense and defense. Ohio State took care of business. There's not a lot to take away from this. I think the the positives, like I said, outweigh the negatives. But just them taking another step forward, no injuries. We saw Mike Weber finally get some run. I, I'm very intrigued to see where they go with that rotation moving forward. I still think at this point it's going to be more Dobbins than it was Weber. I think last night was just a case of not needing Dobbins and getting Weber's feet wet. As we get deeper into conference play and the opponents become a lot better than Rutgers, we'll see more of an emphasis on the run and less of an emphasis that we saw last night in you know trying to figure out what to do with the passing game. Yeah, I think I think the most important thing and the reason that we didn't see a ton of J.K. Dobbins is just that you know Ohio State needs to stay healthy. That's the most important thing right now. I'm not all that concerned about the Buckeyes possibly losing to Maryland or Nebraska, and obviously anything can happen. But Maryland and Nebraska aren't particularly good. I mean, I think Maryland's better than. Nebraska is, but neither of them are obviously not on Ohio State's level, and I think that we'll probably see two more similar games to this one. Um, But, yeah, I mean, there were some injury issues coming into this game. We talked about that a little bit. I think just getting healthy is the key thing right now, and hopefully by the time the um, Penn State game rolls around in late October, uh, the Buckeyes will be ready because right now it seems like they're just chomping at the bit a little bit. and I, I mean, that's fine. That's something that every good team has to do and every good team kind of has to wade through the the bat a little bit and I mean it could be it could be a lot worse than a 56-0 win like LSU just paid a million dollars to lose on homecoming to Troy so it, it could be worse <laughs> yeah things could definitely be a lot worse in the next two weeks I think we'll see maybe not more of the same that we saw last night but probably along the same lines of the UNLV game or the Army game where Ohio State you know, maybe struggles early on, but they get it rolling. Maryland's, they have their pieces on offense. They can run the ball. I think that that's probably the biggest matchup to watch from the Ohio State defense's perspective is how they do against Ty Johnson in that very good Maryland run game, even if Max Bortenschlager is playing quarterback for them. But should be more of the same, another comfortable Ohio State win. I think in a weird way that Nebraska game kind of hinges on what time they announce it as, at least as time of recording. I don't, I don't think that there's been a time announced. If that's a night game, I think it's a little more worrisome, even though I'm with you that Maryland's probably better 
than Nebraska, but if that's a day game on the road, then I think that they'll handle business. But that's always a place where you don't want to go into Memorial Stadium at night, but maybe that'll be a, a good test heading into that bye week before Penn State, but I think that uh, this Ohio State team is on cruise control for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm part of the uh, hoping for no night games and you know, for the next couple of weeks, mostly because I want to watch the good games at night and I don't want to have to watch Ohio State beat Maryland by 45 points. Just, you know. Yeah, I'm pers- sick of the yeah. shit we saw last <laughs> night. That's Personal preference. <laughs> um, I think I'd probably rather watch, uh, what is it, TCU, um, West Virginia's game day this week. I'm sure that'll be a night game. Hopefully Maryland, Ohio State's like a nooner just so – and get it out of the way. <laughs> I mean, I think that that's kind of what the schedule for the next couple of weeks feels like. It's just get it out of the way, get to the Penn State game. Don't don't slip up and do something stupid like you know some other college football teams have done recently. Uh, before we get out of here, let's talk a little bit about what else went on. A couple weeks ago, I don't know if it was after the U- – I think it was when we talked after the UNLV game, I said that there haven't been teams that have separated themselves and – I was wrong, at least right now, and it's the two that you would expect. Clemson and Alabama have officially, I think, separated themselves from everybody. Alabama is Alabama. I don't think there's anything different from this team than what we've seen over the last decade plus. And Clemson is playing like they are Alabama, where no matter where they are, whether they're at home or on the road in a place like Blacksburg or on the road at night at Louisville, if they get up on you, they are just going to strangle you to death with that defensive line. And there's not really anything any of the teams that they've played thus far can do about it. So those are probably my two big takeaways is as of right now, man, it looks like we're headed towards Clemson, Alabama three. They're the two best teams in the country. Yeah. Um, Alabama, I don't, I don't know what what we did to them. I don't know what the g- general college football fan base did to Alabama to make them so mad. But I mean, they've beat they've beat Ole Miss and Vanderbilt by a combined score of 125 to three. Like that's not that's not cool. That's not nice to do. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know why it was Ole Miss and Vanderbilt that had to take the brunt of their anger. But I mean. I apologize to Nick Saban for angering him, I guess, because, yeah, Alabama looks dominant. Clemson has played the hardest schedule that any team has played thus far, and they've looked great doing it. Um, Kelly Bryant looks, you know, as good as they need a quarterback to be to yeah. to win every game they play. Um, it feels like Clemson might kind of have a weird game this year. That It feels like they're going to win all their games against good teams and then maybe drop one to, like, NC State at you know, like noon, and that's the kind of game where you see on Twitter just like an explosion of, uh-oh, look, look at what Clemson's doing. They're losing 27-13 to 13 in the fourth quarter to NC State, like, or Wake Forest or something dumb like that. But, yeah, Alabama seems as dominant as ever. Clemson seems as dominant as ever. But outside of that, I don't, I don't know who the next best teams are. Oklahoma struggled against Baylor last week. Uh, Oklahoma State obviously lost to TCU, took care of Texas Tech, but that was a close game. Um, Pac-12 USC lost to Washington State, and that was a that was a great game. That made up for the lack of decent Pac-12 after night games last night. Washington looks really solid. Dante Pettis is um, extremely exciting. Penn State looked good, but for the most part, it seems like the three and four spots right now are what's 
up for grabs when it comes to postseason play and ultimately playoff stuff. Well, in, in terms of Clemson, I feel like if you're a team that's going to beat them, you're going to have to have a really good defense that can turn over their offense because uh, Clemson's in a place right now where they can live off just being efficient and they'll hit a big play here and there like they did on the 60-yard touchdown pass to Tavian Feaster. But they're content to just play defense, suffocate you, sack your quarterback, force fumbles, score points on defense like we saw from Alabama last season. And when their offense needs to, they'll they'll take advantage and they'll flip field position. But if you're going to beat them, you're going to have to have a solid defense. And as far as the number three team in the country goes, maybe Penn State has the best case for that right now. I was intrigued to see how they would do after that night game against Iowa against an Indiana team who I think is pretty solid. And from the get-go, it kind of snowballed. Penn State scored on kick return to start the game with Saquon Barkley. They forced an early turnover, scored immediately right after that, and then Indiana fumbled a punt. So right from the get-go, it just wasn't their game. But another very impressive performance from Penn State. And I think that at least as of right now, when you add in the special teams factor, that Penn State at the very least is – as complete as they were last year. And I I wanted to see them be more balanced beyond Saquon Barkley. But when you have him returning the opening kick 102 yards for a touchdown, you know, you really don't need anything else. Yeah. Hopefully that's a lesson that Ohio state kind of picks up on as the season goes on is that if you have a player as good as Saquon Barkley, and that's not saying Ohio state does, but you know, go to what works. I think Ohio state has, has a guy like that and J.K. Dobbins, who just will yep. consistently pick up yards. And Penn State just beats teams to death with Saquon Barkley, and there's really nothing you can do about it. And that's why they're so dominant is they know what they're good at. They know what their personnel can do, and hopefully Ohio State will get there. But, yeah, I would agree that Penn State's probably number three right now. Well, it'll be interesting to see here in, what, four weeks' time now when Ohio State takes on Penn State. I'm kind of hoping that Penn State is still undefeated for that game. I don't have their schedule in front of me, but I I don't see any reason why they shouldn't be. I don't see any reason why Ohio State shouldn't steamroll through their next couple of games. And we're going to learn about a lot about both teams. And Ohio State is either in the driver's seat in the Big Ten and headed back to the playoffs possibly, or has their second loss of the season. And we're talking about going to the Outback Bowl. So should be a lot of fun, should be very stressful, but we'll get to that here in a couple weeks. That's probably a good place for us to wrap up. We're 40 minutes into this thing. If you're still listening, we very much appreciate you. Make sure to head on over to soundcloud.com slash Land to listen to this show and any of the previous shows or the future shows that we have done. Patrick and Matt Tamanini have been putting out some recruiting podcasts, both football and basketball. So make sure to check out those on the website on soundcloud.com. Also go to landgrantholyland.com to find not only our podcasts, but all of our coverage of Ohio State Athletics. And then subscribe to the show by visiting Apple Podcasts and searching Hangout in the Holy Land. Please leave a review. If you do, we'll give you a shout-out on the show. Let you let us know what you think about the show, what we can do to make it better, if we need more DeMario McCall talk. And tell a friend about the show if you like it. The best way it can spread is by word of mouth. We want to be the best Ohio State podcast on the internet, and we can only do that with your help and your feedback. You can also send me a tweet at Dubsco. Patrick, where can they reach you? 
You can reach me on twitter.com at Patrick underscore Mayhorn, spelled how it sounds. Um, last night I was up until 3 Eastern time talking about UCLA, so if that's something that you're interested in, feel free to join me in the hellscape that is twitter.com. Join Patrick on twitter.com, join me on twitter.com, and join Land Grant Holy Land on twitter.com. We want to thank you for joining the show today. Until next time, my name is Colton Denning. I was going to say it was Patrick Mayhorn, but that's not my name. I'm Colton Denning. He's Patrick Mayhorn. This is the Hangout in the Holy Land, and go Bucks. <laughs>